Welcome back. The calendar has flipped and we're in National Bourbon Heritage Month. So I hope you have your favorite pour ready uh, to celebrate this uh, national holiday, right? A traditional holiday all month long. And we'll be doing the same with Whiskey Weeks 2022. It's our annual celebration here on Hops and Spirits, including on the podcast. And here on the Hops and Spirits Kentucky podcast, we'll be diving into some restaurants, uh, some craft distillers, some uh, bigger distillers, uh, maybe doing a couple of flight nights. We'll be having a whole lot of fun this month and it'll be happening all across our pages and our shows uh, like i said though it's not going to be all though uh whiskey weeks uh everything that way we'll still do some news and notes and talk beer and other things like our news and notes section because we have several kentucky brewery anniversaries this month uh just recently september 2nd for lemons mill brewery in harrodsburg and hopkinsville brewing as well Third turn brewing in Louisville's anniversary on September 17th and their Oldham Gardens location on September 29th, a busy month for them. Atrium Brewing in Louisville on September 25th and here in Lexington where, where we're based, Mirror Twin Brewing will be celebrating on September 30th. So a lot of things to celebrate across uh, the brewing world here in Kentucky. But our other news and notes this week are definitely on the bourbon side. Barrel Craft Spirits is introducing Barrel Vantage, a blend of straight bourbons finished in three distinct expressions of virgin oak, Mizanara, French, and toasted American oak cask. Uh, Barrel Vantage, uh, Vantage was distilled in Indiana, Kentucky, and Tennessee, then crafted and bottled in Kentucky at cast strength, coming in at 114.44 proof. It's now available at select retailers and online via BarrelBourbon.com for the suggested retail price of $89.99 for a 750-milliliter bottle. Also, the Maker's Mark Distillery in Loretto has a new attraction, the Margie Vestibule. This newly constructed space pays homage to Maker's Mark co-founder Margie Samuels. It's like a mini-museum featuring her private pewter collection, which inspired her to name the family's bourbon Maker's Mark back in the 1950s. It also features two stained-glass walls by New Jersey artist Nellie Cooper, plus a portrait of Margie by Kentucky artist Anna Rose Jacob. The vestibule is now open to all tours going through the distillery, so you'll have to check that out. But like I said, we've got a fun episode for you. It's definitely in the bourbon world as we're celebrating Whiskey Weeks, of course. And up next is our Q&A with Kim and Tom Bard, co-founders of the Bard Distillery in Muhlenberg County. Enjoy. Remember to check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at HopsSpirits.com. Joining us here on the Hops and Spirits Kentucky podcast as part of our kickoff to Whiskey Weeks 2022 is Kim and Tom Bard, co-founders of the Bard Distillery out in Western Kentucky. Kim, Tom, welcome in. Thank you. Thank you. And I said it right because I was afraid after making all those assumptions that I would screw that up. I said everything right, correct? You got it. You got it. You nailed it. Perfect. Perfect. Well, and Tom is also the lead distiller out there, and and we'll get into his heritage with kind of some things, and also their their love of, of bourbon and so forth, and some cool careers that you all have, uh, journeys that you all have taken to this point. But before we get into that, I always call this part the Cliff Notes version, so don't give away all all the secrets just yet. Yeah, but Cliff Notes version, tell us a little bit about yourselves and uh, and how we got to this point. All right, you want to. Carry that? Well, sure. Without giving away too much, um, I'm a Florida native. Uh, proud of that, and I really miss Florida because we're landlocked here. Uh, Tom tries to get me towards the water uh, as much as possible. Um, we fell in love with this industry together, and um, without giving away too much, it, it was it's been quite the journey. 
yeah. and I'm a, I'm a Kentucky native. Muhlenberg's my home. That's where our distillery is located. Um, and, you know, we'll get into, you know, if, if our name sounds familiar, why it would. Um, but like she said, we, we both went to our first distillery around 2006, fell in love with it. And through various uh, careers and past lives, we just could not shake the idea of starting this uh, one on our own. So uh, finally, we, we did that. And uh, it's, it's been, like she said, an interesting journey so far. But uh, we're excited. We're still <laughs> fairly young. We're only a couple years old. And all that's been during a pandemic. So um, we're, we're still waiting on life to get somewhat back to normal so we can see what it's like to run one of these things. <laughs> well, you, you've had a, definitely a crash course with it all. But, you know, you mentioned that that heritage or that lineage back to a, a name. And if you're thinking Bard, there's a, a reason that that might sound familiar. And you want to explain that heritage, uh, Tom? Sure, absolutely. Um, so if you've been to Bardstown, Kentucky, and uh, you've gone to the roundabout there in the center of town, there's a little brass plaque. The very first name mentioned on that plaque is William Bard, uh, and that is my fourth great-grandfather. Uh, of course, Bardstown being uh, known throughout the world as the uh, bourbon capital of the world, with 95% of the world's bourbon made in and around that little town. So uh, we are, I'm a direct descendant of the founder of Bardstown, he and his brother David. Um, and we've always laughed about it in the family that... Um, you know, our name is on nearly every bottle of bourbon on the planet, but we've never made a draw. So uh, that used to be <laughs> something. We, we know of. Yeah, not that we know of. <laughs> so uh, that's something we just laugh about at family reunions. But uh, then, like I said, when Kim and I first visited our, our distillery and we fell in love with it, we said, you know, why don't we why don't we change that little that little bit of history? So, yeah, that's that's our link to bourbon. Um, and it's, you know, it, that, that's just the familiar familiarity of the of the name. And um, that's that's kind of the whole story behind that one. <laughs> well, I was gonna say it's a good one to have. It's a fun one to to be able to to share. And you mentioned, you know, Muhlenberg County is where your home is, but obviously, you know, Bardstown is name, lineage, bourbon, capital of the world. There's plenty of bourbon there. Why settle for your home hometown of, uh, you know, or home county of, of Muhlenberg County to get all this going? Well, basically, uh, you you said it yourself. It's home. Um, and one thing about the area that we are, Muhlenberg uh, is known for its for its coal mining. Uh, just like most of Kentucky, but Muhlenberg, especially back in the day, it was one of the top coal producing spots on the planet. Uh, well, now we're to a point to where the coal mines are gone. Our local TVA plant has shut down and, and a lot of people lost their jobs. So we live in an area that is beautiful. We love it. It's home. It's in our bones. Uh, but economically, it's struggling like a lot of places are. So when we wanted to start this, we thought, you know, uh, instead of going where all the other distilleries are, why won't we? Why don't we just do it right here? And we're not the only ones in Western Kentucky. Uh, there's uh, Casey Jones and MB Rowland just a few miles from us. Uh, we've also got Green River Distilling up in Owensboro, about 45 minutes north. So we're not the Lone Rangers out here in the middle of nowhere, thankfully. Um, but also where this uh, distillery is, it's only about uh, five minutes from the house. So that's always good. <laughs> um, so it just worked out great. It was a great location. Um, you know, this is our home and it, it needed it. So, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't a very long thought process to figure out whether we needed to do it somewhere else or here. We knew we wanted to do it here. Now you, it's also, again, there's a lot of history here uh, because the, I think this, the location of the distillery holds a, a near and dear place for, for your family, Tom, at, at least. I mean, can you tell a little bit about that being the historic school there? Sure. Sure. So where we are, we're in a historic uh, high school uh, complex. Uh, it's on 25 acres. And uh, the buildings are basically, the oldest ones are going on 100 years old. So, uh, you know, nice three-story complexes. It was one of the nicer schools in the area at the time when they were first built. 
Um, they quit using them as a high school around 1990 and then abandoned them completely around 2004. We came along around 2015 and started to slowly try to renovate the buildings. Um, I went to school here when I was a kid. I was here from kindergarten until sixth grade. So my earliest memories are of these buildings and of this place. Three generations of my family before me graduated from here. So a uh, lot of history with these buildings. So, you know, it didn't take me very long to imagine what it would look like once it's, uh, you know, brought back up to snuff and, and uh, a lot of distillation equipment and a, and a tourist experience. Uh, I knew it would be beautiful. And uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's neat to walk these halls. The memories don't hit me every day, but uh, every now and then we'll be doing something and all of a sudden I'm catapulted back to first grade. Uh, so it, it's an odd, odd feeling. It really is. <laughs> now, Kim, I mean, obviously there's a lot of connections for him there. How did you make this kind of feel like your, your spot as well? And, and, you know, maybe put your touch on, on it, so to speak. Well, um, my father was an educator, so I grew up around schools, uh, going to school board meetings with him sometimes as a kid. Um, and I'm a former educator myself. So this kind of feels like home to me. Um, I still want to get out my chalk and write on the walls sometimes. And um, sometimes you know, she does. <laughs> sometimes <I> do <laughs> we, does. We, we did do some artwork uh, where the old trophy case is on the back side of it. Uh, we just used chalk to decorate that. So um, it's it's just it just feels like home. It smells like an old school. So when you walk in that you, it like he said, some things just take you right back. So um, I just feel real comfortable here. And Tom has made me feel like it's my home as well, which is a huge part of it. Um, something I don't believe he mentioned, but you know, his family, um, we may get into a little bit more of the history in a little while, but his family, uh, William Bard, um, had a son named Isaac who moved here to Muhlenberg, which is how Tom's family got here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, next year is 200 years ago that that happened. So we'll have to have a big 200 year celebration next year. Yeah, we'll do something because we have lived on the same farm and our house is where Isaac, uh, my third great grandfather, William's son, where he had his house. So we've literally been on the same piece of land, haven't moved an inch in almost 200 years. Um, but she, she, uh, when we moved up here, we had lived in North Carolina in one of our previous careers, which we'll get into with our racing careers. Uh, but we moved up here and um, she, she fit right in immediately. So, um, and also as far as why this school feels like home to her, um, with all the thousands and thousands of hours that she and I spent in here between 2015 and 2019, just trying to essentially stop the bleeding on the buildings, you probably spent more hours in here than people who went to school here there in, you know, K through 12. Yeah. So you've got as much time in these buildings as they do. Well, I mean, what is it like to turn that into uh, a distillery? Cause it's not like it's set up for it. It's not like you're starting from scratch. I believe you're distilling in the gymnasium. You've got other things that you're doing with a visitor center shop, things like that. I mean, what was that process like to turn it from a school or an abandoned school in a sense of, you know, not being used to a, functioning facility well the worst part is the fact that it was just abandoned for so long and it did what old buildings do uh so needed a lot of repairs just so it would be structurally uh, uh capable of doing what we wanted lots of debris we had to remove uh however as far as the way that all the buildings are laid out here on site it's actually perfect uh because if you think about it they were picking up and dropping off little kids for 70 or 80 years here um, so they've already got everything in place to handle barrels and raw materials and stuff like that. Um, Except the loading dock. We don't have a loading dock. <laughs> we do everything. Uh, do we have stories on that one? Yeah, we've got lots of stories Ooh. on that. So any anybody out there thinking about starting a distillery before you buy a still and before you start designing labels and finding bottles, 
wherever build you the loading build dock. a loading dock wherever you found your spot <laughs> spend your money on that first be done with it um but other than that this site is actually set up perfectly for it as far as the gymnasium it is not set up perfectly for it the gymnasium was built in 1955 but it's the building that came to life the quickest so we started in here thinking it would be temporary but then the pandemic hit so we're still stuck in this building uh, at least for another nine months to a year um the problem with this one it was made for just kids to basically walk into and walk out of and go up and down hills. There's no way to get material in here easily. Um, it's just not set up very well for manufacturing. <laughs> the, where we're moving to next year with our new steel that's coming, uh, it's set up, except for the loading dock, it's set up perfectly. <laughs> um, and the good thing about it is it's a three-story building. So we're basically doing more room demolition than we are construction. Mm -hmm. uh, we just need to make room for the steel, which we're doing right now. Um, so it actually lends itself being three stories tall. We can fit a nice Vendome column right in there. Um, so in a lot of ways, uh, many of the things that are here that was set up just for kids is set up perfectly for, for a distillery. That, that's always fascinating to see how, how that worked. And, and Kim, you mentioned you're, you've been in education your whole life, I believe a former middle school principal, yeah. uh, but also a NASCAR driver racing. How, how does... I mean, was that, that a stress reliever for you, you know, dealing with all the kids and the parents and things like that? Or what, what, how does that all work together? Um, so I grew up drag racing uh, in Florida. So that's how I got started. Um, and then that turned into going to uh, Buck Baker Racing School one weekend. And <clears throat> I was invited there. Um, it was an all-male class. And of course, me being an educator and a female, I actually listened to the instruction and did what they told me. So um, <laughs> while we were doing our laps, it was a three-day course. Uh, while we were doing our laps, um, I ended up with the fastest, most consistent times. You know, I was a former, I, I, I drove race cars anyway, so I wasn't afraid of the speed or the sound or anything like that. So I ended up having the most consistent laps all weekend. And Buck Baker himself walked over and offered me a job to fly in on the weekends and go to uh, Las Vegas, Atlanta, Bristol, all these great tracks with a lot of history um, and teach other people how to drive stock cars. And that was my first time ever driving a stock car, but I did that for two years and really learned about stock cars and working on them and fixing them and uh, fixing them and fixing them because people driving them did not know what they were doing. <laughs> um, and I can tell you, until you have gotten into a stock car that's capable of going, we usually slow them down to about 160. But until you get into a car, sitting in the passenger seat beside someone who doesn't know what they're doing and they're heading straight for the wall and you have to reach over and turn the car because they're focused on the wall and you know where you look, you're going. That experience happened more times than I can, than I care to talk about. But anyhow, <laughs> um, so fast forward, went through Buck Baker Racing School, bought my first car from Dave Marcus, uh, racing legend number 71. They called him um, Old Wingtips. Anyhow, bought my first car from him. He went with me to Atlanta to my first race, and um, the rest is history. NASCAR for about five years. I met Tom there. He was my crew chief, and um, we just hit it off really well. He talked to me in my in my radio, my helmet, while I was driving, and um, we were together almost 24-7 for a few years, and I finally decided that he kept pestering me that I would go out with him, and I did finally. Um, <laughs> I mean, you just couldn't get enough of him spending all yeah, that time on the track, having him him talk to you all that time. You're um, fine, actually. Yeah. But he was a great listener. I mean, if I said something was wrong with the car, he 
he at least made me feel like he was going to fix it, even though he didn't always do it when I brought it in. But he made he made it appear that he did fix it. Little a little behind the <laughs> scenes uh, tip to people who who watch a lot of NASCAR. Um, little little thing about drivers. A lot of drivers will convince themselves there's something wrong with the car. And even though all of the data that that we're getting as the engineers or the crew chiefs or the the crewmen, all the data we're getting is saying that that's not what's happening. So a lot of times, uh, and this happens a lot during races, during practice, during testing, a driver says, I'm all over the place. I'm really loose. This is what I need. And we know they don't. They say, okay, we'll, we'll do that. So when they pull in, while we're doing a pit stop, we'll stick a wrench in a hole and rattle it around just to make them think we did what it is they asked them to do. <laughs> and sure enough, they drive back out there and they go, oh, yeah, you fixed it. It's perfect now. And it was all, all a mental thing. So there's lots of that that goes on. I'd, I'd, I'd pull that on her a few times because you're like, yeah, she thinks that's what's wrong. It's not. But that's that's every that's every crew chief and every driver that's yeah. ever existed. Especially getting towards the end of the race, everything goes wrong. You feel like all four tires are flat, the transmission's going, the engine is about to blow up, and and you have to pee. So you know. Everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> well, well, and you know, Tom, you mentioned that you worked in in NASCAR. You're a mechanical engineer by trade. How did you then decide to go to distilling? Because Doing this long enough on the podcast, I know engineering, it, it's a good segue. You, you've got a good segue into to the industry, more so than people probably ever think. But I mean, still, though, to take that jump and how did, how did that career change go for you? Well, I was once we got out of NASCAR, we both decided about the same time that we were we were ready to move on and do something different. So uh, that's when we came back up to Kentucky and I started working in management, industrial management. So I'd work for a, a steel mill and explosives factory. You know, and I was in the management staff, either as a quality manager or or some type of continuous improvement type type engineering that that I did. Um, but still, like a lot of people who start distilleries or start their own business, they get to where even though they've got a good career, they're in a good spot. They're they're driving themselves crazy because they're not getting what they need out of it. And that's where I was. Um, nothing nothing against the companies or the jobs. It was just not for me uh, because I had so many aspirations, so many dreams. I wanted more control of what I did. So like a lot of people, I, you know, along with Kim at the same time, we just bit the bullet, said, okay, let's, let's go, let's go work on these, this, these things. And of course, being an engineer and having basically, you know, worked on cars, built cars, built everything. I grew up on a farm as well. And my dad uh, didn't have the degree, but he was one of the best engineers I've ever met uh, just with his abilities and his knowledge. So growing up in that, it also gave me a perhaps inflated confidence <laughs> that, um, but hey, I'm an engineer. I've got a pedigree. If you look at my resume, which is now big enough to be called a CV, whether it is worth anything or not, it's big enough. But when you look at it on paper, you look at it and go, oh, he can do anything. And I I bought into that. So we said, let, let, let's do this. We can. We have, thankfully. But <laughs> there have been moments right where I'll be sitting there staring at something, you know, with my with my tongue hanging out, scratching my head. Kim comes by about six hours later. I haven't moved. I'm still <laughs> yeah, he's the thinker. I'm the doer. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, and if you can, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but if you can imagine, I mean, we have, I call them four very large buildings here on site. Two of them are connected. Um, there is an enormous amount of work to be done in all of them. And for the two of us, we do most of the work ourselves or we, we try to hire out and because of the pandemic and because of things that have happened, um, plus it's just hard finding good people to come and do what you need them to do. Every time something needs to be done, it's the two of us that are going to do it. And more likely than not, I go to Tom and I say, 
we need to blank. And every time we look at each other like, all right, it's on the list of 10,467 <laughs> to 10,468. Yeah. yeah. But well, he, uh, he really yeah. can't do anything. Well, I was going to say, I mean, when you're thinking of business decisions, Bourbon, while it sounds great, there's a thing with bourbon that a lot of people tend to forget. If you're going to make it yourself, is time. Time yeah. takes money, all that yeah. good stuff. It's not not all the, the glamorous things that you see on the front end is on the back end. So right. why go down this crazy path together? Like, I mean, is there times where we look at each other and go, hmm, did we do this correctly? Or or is it always, you know, at the end of the day, this is something that you guys have always wanted to do. And it's, we have our moments. We have our moments, but then immediately it's followed up by, we we know what we're doing. Well, we don't always know what we're doing. Scratch that. Never. Um, <laughs> we know what we're going for. We know what our goal is. We know why we're here. And part of that is to create jobs in our community um, and to help other people have careers that they can be proud of. And um, plus we just love making good stuff. It's just kind of a passion that we, that we found together. So, um, you know, our former career together was racing and now it's, it's making bourbon together. So there are days like before this podcast started about eight things came across my email and every one of them pissed me off and him as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but then you popped on the screen and shut that off and move on to something else. But yeah, we have our moments, but we know what our end goal is. Yeah. And we're, we're pretty good at, at, uh, at just putting our blinders on and putting our head down uh, you know, a lot of people, they want, they want instant gratification. That's the world we live in now. Anyway, uh, we're still a little bit old school, um, to where, you know, good things come to those who wait, but also you got to work for it while you're doing it. So since we understand that, and that's kind of the, the, the worlds that we've grown up in and, and, and worked in, uh, we don't have that, that, um, that anxiety, I guess, of, wait, I'm not seeing instant results from my work. We, we know, we knew from the get go, that's not what it was going to be. And we want something that's lasting, something, uh, you know, has a historical significance. I'm a big history buff anyway. Um, so we're excited to look at this stuff and, and to, to know that, hey, this stuff that we just distilled in about 10 or 15 years, when we might be dead, <laughs> and gone, who knows, this is going to be great. But, but we, we understand that and, and had a good grasp of it from the get go. So, um, uh, that part doesn't bother us, but like other distillers that I know you've talked to, we found ways around it to have some revenue coming in and still put great products on the shelf that are that are we put up against anyone's. Uh, while the stuff that we 100% made here on site is is aging and, and becoming what we hope is a great bourbon. And, and we'll talk about those those bourbons and those products here in a second. But um, like I, I mentioned beforehand, when we were, before we hit the record button. I believe Tom said this, so if not, he can expand on it now, and you can have this on record, Kim. But I, I believe you—I read where you said she's the driving force. I'm hoping there's a pun intended in there. Maybe I don't know <laughs> uh, of the distillery. Why? Why? Why is that? And what does she bring? Because you're doing obviously one part of it with the distilling, but like she said, there's a lot that goes on in in that, those buildings. Absolutely. And also, you know, she also takes a big part of the distilling as well, because everything that we do doesn't matter what it is. It ends up being the two of us. Mm -hmm. And now we've got some some wonderful employees that are working with us as well. They're part time so far. Most days uh, they're wonderful. Most days. Yeah. <laughs> they are. They're great. They are. They're great. We wouldn't trade them for anything. But uh, still, for the most part with this business, it's she and I that attack everything. 
But one thing about when I said she's the driving force behind this, yeah, there was a little bit of pun there. Uh, <laughs> I may not have intended it, but there it was. <laughs> but one thing about it, even though she and I do have a lot of things in common, of course, any any people, if you get together as a as a as a team, a business team, or also as a husband and wife, and we've done both, so just obviously we're not very bright to do those two things. <laughs> However. You want to have some things in common, but it's also good to have some complete polar opposite uh, characteristics. And we're like yin and yang when it comes to how we approach things. Uh, she's very much a shoot from the hip type person uh, on everything all the time. And uh, I'm a very, you know, being an engineer, I'm very methodical, very, I plan. I really want to think things through. I want to, yeah, it's like that. So, <laughs> and so we're complete opposites. However, so what it is, is whenever we come up with an idea, basically I'm sitting there going, okay, yeah, that's a great idea. So what we need to do to plan everything else, next thing you know, she's halfway down the road saying, you coming? And then I'm like, okay, well, I guess I get to plan this out a lot quicker while I'm running after her. So that's basically how we do things because, uh, you know, I'm fully aware that left my own devices, there are a lot of things that I may never get to because I continue to try to fine tune it. Having someone like her in the mix, it, it makes me have a cutoff point. Uh, I still do as much as I can because, I always uh, use the analogy that, you know, if she and I both decide to go, um, you know, jump out of a plane with a parachute, <laughs> we'll both go. I'm going to jump out too. But the night before, she'll be watching TV and watching Netflix. I'm check. <laughs> I'm reading up to know how all this works. I'm I'm checking the parachute if they give me that uh, ability. <laughs> I'm doing all this work to make sure everything goes off smoothly. And when we get up in the plane. She's the one that will go to jump out. And then I have to tap her on her shoulder and say, you should probably put your parachute on before you jump. <laughs> and she just laughs, puts it on, then jumps. Mm -hmm. um, so again, I, I we it gets us to the same place at the same time. But if it wasn't for her, we may have never gotten on the plane. And he's sewing the parachute on the way up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it to make sure it works. So, so we make a good team because I, I make sure we don't crash and burn. Uh, but she makes sure that we actually crank up and go. So, um, yeah, oh, very, another pun. yeah, another pun. It's sorry. They just keep on coming. But uh, but truly, uh, yeah, this 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 venture would not would not exist without her at all. There's no way. Um, and also Likewise. just just the day to day operations. Uh, we're just we're a good mix. We mm -hmm. we try to kill each other at least twice a day. Um, and if you ask her, it's always my fault. Uh, I've <laughs> accepted that that's that's how it will be written in history. But, um, you know, we're, we're still here. Well, I mean, and, and working together as a husband and wife team, I mean, that's obviously adds an extra dynamic, whether it's family members or, you know, loved ones, well, however you want to look at it. How is it balancing that? Because when you go home, you're still together. I mean, obviously you've had some practice with that with, you know, on the racetrack, things like that. But I mean, how have you guys been able to make that life balance work? Um, it, it is. It is very different because, you know, when you have a regular job and your and your spouse goes to their job and you stay at your job and then you meet home, you know, meet at home for dinner or what have you, you get to miss each other, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very true. It sounds awful, but it's very true. It's, you know, we're always together. I, I used to have a, uh, when I was a, a principal, I had an assistant principal. I had two, thank God. Um, what, and he, he worked with his wife for a very short time. And I never forget the story. He said, there's one thing about working with your spouse. You wake up, and this is his story. I woke up, there's Phyllis. I go to breakfast, there's Phyllis. I get to work, there's Phyllis. I go home, 
there's Phyllis. <laughs> so that was his, you know, story about working with his wife. And this was years ago before I'd even met Tom. And then now that we're doing the same thing, we get it. And I tell him that story every, every <laughs> once in a while. Mm -hmm. You know, we do, there is a cutoff point at some point in the evening where one of us will say, all right, stop. My head's full. I can't think of work one more time, one more moment. And then it, one minute later, the person who said it will bring up work again. So <laughs> we we are learning to to set boundaries when we do get home or in the morning before we have before I have my coffee. Don't talk to me about it. I don't want to hear it. Just let me get my coffee in me. And it comes it comes down to routine. That's it what it yeah. is. Yeah. Because like she was mentioning, most people who work separately, they've got a routine down. They can come home and hopefully they can chat about work a little bit. Then it's on to whatever it is they do. When you own your own business and every single decision has to be made by just two people instead of a team of 10 or 15 or 20. Um, you you don't have a routine. Things are cropping up constantly. So you end up taking it home. Mm -hmm. You have no choice. Otherwise, it wouldn't get done. We do as much work at home as we do here. Um, and as a result of that, we can't get into a routine. As a result, we're always reminding each other of, hey, here's a new uh, a new uh, uh, dumpster fire we have to put out. <laughs> we didn't know about it, but I'm telling you about it. She she has a bad habit. And I, I'm starting to break her on this. She will tell me <laughs> terrible things Good we luck. have to. Yeah, terrible things that we have to consider and that I have to think about. She tells me as we're turning off the light to go to sleep. <laughs> she does that all the time. And I look at her and I, will I, continue and I finally just start turning the light back on and saying, okay, we got to talk about this. Quit telling me about these disasters that I have to deal with tomorrow. <laughs> and quit telling me about it for the first time ever. Quit telling me as I'm trying to go to sleep. So little things. Well, if I have to think about it, so do you. And that's exactly <laughs> that now we know. That's teamwork. That's that teamwork. Right. Disney <laughs> loves company. <laughs> but once we can, you know, once we continue to grow, can get some type of routine down, uh, and we have, like she said, we're starting to do more of that. It's starting to give us a little bit more husband and wife time mm -hmm. and and downtime. At least, even if it's in thirty minute, hour long increments, we'll take it because we haven't had that in years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and and obviously with what you guys are are building there, you got to take those steps to it. Because um, like I said, bourbon takes time, unfortunately. I mean, you can work on it a little bit. There's some things out there, but at the end of the, the day, time is what you need. Sure. So some of those current products that you guys have been able to put out, uh, you really Cinder and Smoke was kind of the first releases. Mm -hmm. I believe you finally got to bottle your own uh, distillate that you guys produced on site with the, mm -hmm. the Muhlenberg uh, Kentucky Straight Bourbon. So can you talk a little bit about those? And then obviously you have a few other things that a lot of craft distillers do to kind of, you know, round out the portfolio and be able to have things that you can sell at any time of the year. Sure. So we took a different approach to our first product. And like you said, when you first open your doors, you don't have anything aged because we started distilling on the exact same day that we opened our doors for visitors, which is also the first day that our uh, first product was available. So uh, like many distilleries before us, we sourced bourbon from other places. Mm -hmm. And then we took that, aged it ourselves for a few years. Some of that was aging while we were still just cleaning out the buildings. Um, so while that was aging, we would taste it every now and then and say, okay, well, it's, it's getting closer to what it is we, we envisioned. Um, so when we opened our doors, we opened up with a 13-year bourbon. Um, we call it Cinder and Smoke. And it, uh, there was very little of it. Um, so it sold out during the pandemic, you know, for us, for a distillery no one knew about, sold out fairly quickly. Um, but still, it put us on the map. We won some pretty good awards with it. Everything we entered, we were coming up with golds and double golds. So we, we knew that, okay, well, then we're, we're holding our own, at least in these competitions. And then everyone who's tried it, we haven't had anyone that didn't like it. So we were very, very proud of, of what we did. 
And like a lot of distilleries, you know, we would rather, no, I want everything that goes in a bottle with my name on it. I want it to be stuff that I did 100% of, but there's still a tremendous pride that goes into taking uh, bourbon that was distilled elsewhere years ago. And then you take it and you say, okay, here's what I am getting out of this barrel and that barrel and this barrel. What if, what if we put those together in a combination that no one else was going to put that together and then, uh, you know, let it sit together for various amounts of times and decide what proof it needs to be. And then when you put it out and everyone loves it. Uh, Thank you, Lisa Wicker. Yeah. And, I, and, <laughs> and we always, we always give a shout out to Lisa. She's a great friend of ours. And because she is, uh, we, we try not to ask her for too much advice over the years but she's always been there for us. But the best advice that she's ever given us is to not overthink things. Mm -hmm. Just, just at the end That's of the day, it. at the end of the day, does it taste good? Which is what mm -hmm. it's all about. Um, so we have always kept that in mind with everything that we do is we just want a product that when people pour it, they say, wow, I like that. And yes, it was worth what I paid for it. And that's all we go by. Um, so that Cinder and Smoke 13 year did very well for us. We transitioned that brand into a new uh, face uh, called uh, Cinder and Smoke Founders Select. Um, that one is where she and I uh, and the rest of our employees don't really get involved with this part. Um, we call it Founders Select because she and I taste all of our barrels that we have in inventory. And then we pick three uh, blindly that we think go together the best. And they're anywhere from four years all the way up to 12 years old. And we don't even look at the age statement because we don't care. It doesn't matter for this product at all. Um, so we will find three barrels that really complement each other. And once we've count, found that combination, we dump those three, we bottle it, and there's, that's our next batch of, uh, of Founders Select. Um, and it's the Cinder and Smoke flavor profile, so we're keeping it consistent. Yeah, and some's from Tennessee, some from Kentucky. We're happy to source some stuff from other states as well. The goal is to, uh, being small batch, it's all going to be different, but the goal is some of the key characteristics as far as the, the nose, the mouthfeel, the, the finish. Mm -hmm. We want to keep those characteristics to where you can tell these are cousins. And that's what we want to do. So we don't we don't want to just willy nilly put anything in a bottle and call it cinder and smoke. We want it to be if you like this batch, you'll like this one. If you like that expression, you'll love this one. Um, and we've gone in reverse. Most people start out with a product and then in a year or two, they'll come out with a slightly older or more specific product. And they'll raise the price and keep going up with your more exclusive, harder to find products. We went the opposite direction. We started out with a 13 year. Now we're down to a four to 12 year old blend. And next month we're coming out with a, what we consider to be our standard cinder and smoke. It'll be a 94 proof. Um, and basically all we're doing is we're bringing other people into the fold instead of just she and I doing 100% of the bottling, labeling and hand signing and everything. We're bringing more people into it, uh, which allows us to make more of it. Um, so we, we're going in, in different directions. We also have a, another expression coming out, hopefully November of our cinder and smoke. And that is some that we put in some large Oloroso sherry cask uh, a few years ago. And that stuff is fantastic. And that should be coming out. Uh, we're thinking now November. Um, so there's our cinder and smoke. And it's all everything with the cinder and smoke brand is a, it's a rye bourbon. Uh, and we've, we've had combinations of barrels that are low rye, high rye. Uh, but if you like rye, uh, the cinder and smoke is the direction to go. Our Muhlenberg products, um, which is the stuff that we make 100% here on site. Our Muhlenbergs is a wheat, uh, so that is a, a wheat base. Um, we try to we try to have something for everyone. Uh, as time goes on and we get larger, and especially with bigger equipment where we can play a little more, um, there's all kinds of things we want to play with. Right? <laughs> we, we're excited. We, we get more excited the more we talk about it because uh, we 
you know, we have just, yeah, we're exhausted. And we're worn out uh, from the last few years. But as far as we're concerned, we haven't even got started yet. We love a new project. Yeah, we love a new project. <laughs> punishment. Yeah. And, and with our Muhlenberg, um, and also when we opened, not long after we opened our doors and the pandemic was going on, so we were kind of open and closed like everyone else. Um, after about a year or so, we were putting away as many barrels as we could while we were selling our cinder and smoke bourbon that we had sourced. And while we're selling that, we're putting bourbon uh, barrels away to age. And then we finally said, look, some people have been asking us for it. Why don't we go ahead and release a white dog? Uh, instead of putting this in a barrel, let's bottle it instead, see what people think. Mm -hmm. So we started out with that and we called it Silver Mule. Um, and mainly uh, one thing was to help people pronounce Muhlenberg. You you nailed that one too, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Most people pronounce it Muhlenberg or some some monstrosity of a word, the way they just say it. But we actually put mules on each one of these Muhlenberg products because we want to help people sound it out and say it. Um, but that one we called Silver Mule also because it was 124 proof in the bottle and we wanted it to be something that would basically kick a white dog's ass. So, <laughs> so we named it Silver Mule. That's where the name came from. And then the rest of our products, while our bourbon was aging, we came out with a couple of liqueurs. We've got a, a salted caramel liqueur, an orange cream liqueur. We have two flavored whiskeys, apple pie and a blackberry whiskey. Um, so we had, like like you mentioned earlier, while your stuff is aging, what can you do? Uh, so we were taking the juice, some of the juice, instead of barreling it, and let's do something else with it, which people have still loved. We've, uh, again, as far as competitions go, and as far as just people who especially come in here and taste it, um, we get nothing but positive reviews on everything. So we're very proud of what we've put out. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like every Kentucky distillery, the gold is bourbon. But like you said, you got to wait. So until then, let's have some fun. See what we can do. Something for everyone. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that strategy. And when people come to visit, you, you mentioned clearly that there's, a, you know, you can hit up Owensburg, you can hit up others. So you can make a, a trip out of it. But when they come to visit, you know, the Bard distillery in particular, what can they expect? Well, the first thing and foremost thing is always a friendly face. When you walk in the door, we pride ourselves on customer service. Um, we get emails and reviews, and um, it's one of the things I'm most proud of. And our girls that work here with us are phenomenal. When you walk in the door, they make you feel like you're at home. And especially for those people who did go to school here, which there are quite a few, if they tell us when they walk in the door that, they're, that they went to school here, we, we say welcome home to them. Because, you know, this is this is their school home. They It's a part of their lives. Um, and some of them even cry when they walk in because they just they're so thankful that we're actually doing something. When we bought the buildings where I'm digressing a little bit from your question, but um, when we bought the buildings that were covered in vines and the interior was interior and exterior were just in shambles. So um, so besides a really warm welcome um we have a, a nice little tour, very historic. You've heard most of the story now. Um, we'd like to share with people what we're doing. We want them to see what we're doing. And then by the end of the tour, they're so excited for us. And we want them to come back and watch our progress. Yeah, we tell them about uh, the little town they're in. Because most people, when they get off of the uh, off the parkway, which is basically a, a small interstate uh, connector, uh, when they get off here, they don't even know where they are. They just know they're somewhere in Kentucky. So we try to give them a short history of, well, you're in Muhlenberg County, and here's why you may or may not have ever heard of Muhlenberg. So we tell them a little about the history. Then we'll tell them the history of the buildings. We'll tell them the history of the coal mines in Graham, which is why Graham exists. Um, and then we walk them around just a little bit, just to kind of show them what's coming. And then we'll come into mm -hmm. the old gymnasium and show them the operation that we're operating right now. 
Uh, then, of course, the most important part after that, we shut the hell up and we actually do tastings, <laughs> which is the main thing. Um, but one thing that, that we get from people a lot uh, who come in here, which we're very proud of, is they love the the one-on-one interaction they normally get with with the owners, because uh, she and I are almost always here. Not always. Sometimes we're not available. But um, we try to interact with everyone that we possibly can. And most people, pretty much everyone, they love the fact that they're walking into a distillery that is 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 growing uh they they really love that fact and we were we were kind of surprised at how many people say that Mm -hmm. that they'll tell us that yeah i've gone to all kinds of distilleries and been on all kinds of tours and this is my favorite and we'll look at them kind of thinking we've been on a lot of distillery tours too (laughs) what are are you i'm like what are you talking about (laughs) but what then we ask them to explain that because we can't compete to the ambiance yet and and the of the experience of going to some of your big guys and a lot of a lot of our friends that are mm-hmm. that are in smaller craft distilleries who really got their stuff together but what they love is the fact that they're seeing this bare bones they can see what we're doing they can tell that we're excited about the project um so we have a lot of people walk out of here who they want to come back just to see what we've done since last time um, so we're hoping those folks, especially the ones that come back mm-hmm. next year, you'll see something completely different. Who doesn't love a before and after, right? Yeah. And we, what I always tell them is, you know, it's time and money. And if you come back in a year and we're still here, ask us, what the hell have you been doing? Yeah. We're going to have to answer you. <laughs> but so far, they've all seen changes. So yeah. that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you guys are part of the Kentucky Distillers Association and, and the, the Bur- Kentucky Bourbon Trail Craft Tour. How important was it for you guys to kind of get that to also, you know, bring some folks by because a lot of folks love going on on the trail and and especially hit, hitting the smaller uh, guys because maybe they've seen it all the the bigger ones and want to check out what what all the innovations are happening at all the smaller locations. Yeah, it was it was really important for us to get on the craft tour. Um, thank you KDA for for developing that program. We knew that it would bring people in. Um, they they know what they're getting into. They've been to the other distilleries, like you said. Uh, some of them do come in and say, I've taken all the tours. I just want to do a tasting. And oh, no, 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 no. You you need to do the tour because we're different. Uh, there, There's so much history here. We're a craft distillery and it's he and I and our three, three wonderful employees and we do it all. So you get a money back guarantee as well. So <laughs> we really talked them into that. Yeah. And we, uh, you know, the, one of the best parts about being on the craft tour is Yes, KDA helps promote us. We're part of a, you know, we're we're in the the, the passport or or the field guide, uh, so that people, you know, there's the plan laid out of, hey, go see some different distilleries, taste some different products. So it's it's a thrill to just be in the group, to be in the discussion. But one of the best things for us, and why it was such a big deal for us, is that you know, it's it's just for a moral victory. It's it's validity to us. Uh, because we worked really hard to exist first and foremost, and then to also show. Uh, KDA, what they wanted to see to say, look, we will, we'll make you proud. We'll make everybody else proud. If people go to these distilleries and they come see us as well on this tour, we don't want them leaving thinking, well, we could have skipped that one. We want them to have an experience to know that, Hey, here's somebody else you need to keep up with. Here's someone else making a great product that we want you to try. And it's also probably the most fun thing in this whole industry, which I know, I know that you're aware of is that we don't really have competitors um uh, we we love the idea of of sending people to other distilleries um we've actually we've had uh visitors here and they have to be doing a tour when and and you know we know that we start a conversation i'll say hey have you ever tried anything from casey jones have you ever tried any of this this and that and you know we'll 
we'll reach back on our on our bar and say, hey, if you really like that, they're only 35 minutes away. You need to go see them. You got time. Yeah. Or smoked corn from Mimby Rolling. Yeah, if you yeah. want to try some of this stuff from Mimby Rolling, go that way. And of course, you know, Green River, they just now released their, you know, their their bourbon. So go out there. And and some people look at us like we have two heads, you know, when we do that. <laughs> But I, I I don't know if they understand just how much fun that is for us to say, look, the, this is our family. Um, so, you know, being part of the craft tour and being part of KDA, uh, being part of that family, um, it's it's a big deal. And it, it only it only helps everyone. Yeah, lifts all, uh, what is it, lift, lift, lift all tides or tides lift all boats or, or yeah, the, the saying. Yeah. So it, it's amazing to see that in the camaraderie and just the, the ability to ask questions is it's probably got to be uh, awesome too as you go through mm -hmm. and find things along the way that others have experienced and right. you know you mentioned you guys are still small you're, you're doing limited releases on a lot of things so where can folks find those releases is it mainly just coming to visit or, or is there anywhere else we are uh everything is up on the website now they can buy cinder and smoke today uh they have been able to buy that for about six months all of our other products are on there but their pre-orders i believe I'm not sure if it's live today or not, but it's it not, be. not live today. It probably be, by the time you go, yeah. this this goes out. It, it should, should be. be ready. Yeah, and those will be pre-orders because we still have to send the boxes or the the cases to our distributor. But uh, very soon they can get it and get it delivered to the door. Yeah, so on online uh, we can uh, ship to 41 states plus DC, uh, so we can really get out there. Um, but also we're throughout the state of Kentucky. Uh, we're also in uh, New York, New Jersey, Arkansas, Michigan. We're also in uh, Canada, so uh, we're we're out Alberta there. Alberta and British Columbia. Yeah, Alberta and British Columbia as well. And Tennessee. And Tennessee, as of uh, yeah, as of now, we're also yeah. going to be in Tennessee starting in October. Um, so we're we're just slowly getting out there, and that's one thing we've actually we've had an a interesting experience because whenever we do come out with a product, it gets a lot of good reviews. People hear about it, and for the last few years during the pandemic, we've been turning down distributors, which is horrible to, to do that yeah. but we knew we couldn't supply it uh we're so small right now we're operating with two 60 gallon pot stills uh and that's very limited you can't make a lot with that um that'll change a lot next year but uh as a result we've had states contact us distributors contact us and saying hey we'd love to carry your product in our state and we'd say uh, call, let's call you back or you call us back in a year um because right now we don't want to commit to you and then can't get it to you um so we've actually kept ourselves small just so we stay in the realm of what can we maintain mm -hmm. and feel and feel good about the product going out. So at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. We want to make sure we still had control over, over the juice going in the bottle. Um, but yeah, we're, we're getting out there, but come anywhere in Kentucky, we're all over the place. Um, and we always tell people, if you walk into a store, even if you're in a state, we don't distribute in, if you want our stuff, mention it and uh, they'll, they'll make a phone call and they'll, <laughs> and they'll get us in there. Cause one thing a retailer doesn't like is when someone comes in to ask for a product and they don't have it, then they have to figure out who is this, where is this, how do I get it? So if you ever want our stuff, walk into your local liquor store, no matter if it's in Lukenbach, Texas, tell them what you want. They'll they'll make a call. We'll get it there. Uh, I love that. And it's awesome to see. And that's also, I think, a very wise choice to kind of slow the rollout so you can always make sure there's something available for folks and they they have that opportunity to get it at their local store and you've touched on this a little bit obviously a new stills coming along which probably means more barrels being able to be put back and yeah. able to, to expand a little bit but what's next for for y'all and the facility and, and just everything going forward so basically uh mentioned we got the 260 gallon pot stills that we use now that allows me if i'm if i'm working basically daylight till dark 
Uh, we can do about two to three barrels a week. And that's if that's, we do nothing but distill and cook and, and uh, ferment. So about two to three barrels a week. With this new steel coming, it's a 14-inch Vendome column. Uh, we can do about 20 barrels a day. So quite a, quite a jump in our, in our capabilities. Um, and we're excited about that. But of course, along with that, everything else has to expand with it. Uh, Rick House space, um, obviously raw material purchases, you know, skyrocket as far as how much money you have to commit. Um, and then of course, you know, your, your giant cookers and your tanks and everything else. But, but we're excited because it, we're still, we are still at the very early baby stages of the, the spirits boom. Um, we thought it had started five or six years ago when we first started this project. Um, but the numbers we're hearing now is like, well, basically reset the clock and do it again because it is still exponentially growing. Um, so we know that even the large equipment that we're getting, um, that's probably not big enough. We're leaving room for a 24 or 36 inch Vendome column right next to it, just knowing that in the next few years, we'll probably need it. But right now we're, we're just leaving a spot for it right now. <laughs> something other than these two little bitty pot stills, we will be thrilled. Uh, I, I love that. I love that. And it sounds like, uh, some smart planning. I'm wondering who thought that one through to leave some space for something else. Um, we, we, Oh yeah. <laughs> Just shove it in there. It'll work. <laughs> no, I hear basically every day, all day, all, all day long. What I hear from her is, why are you doing that? What are you doing? I'm like, okay, well, I've been, it, it'll take me about an hour to explain to you why, but she gives me about five seconds. That's all she gives me. And if I can't give if I can't give her, if I can't convince her in five seconds why I'm doing something, she goes, why do you need to do that? Then she walks off. She's on something. <laughs> she's on. She's on. All she knows is there's a moron in the other room staring at a wall. That's all she knows. And sometimes she's right. But uh, yeah, planning. I, I, I enjoy it. it, it it's it, it's stressful, but planning for a project like this and trying to put all the pieces in place. I enjoy that. So it's uh, it's fun. Uh, and then this was a lot of fun. Kim, Tom, I, I appreciate it, folks. If you can head out to the bar distillery out there in Muhlenberg County and uh, check them out, ask them about their careers. I'm sure there's more stories they can share than we did here, but uh, no, this was no, a lot of fun. <laughs> That's true too. But I, I appreciate the time and, and you guys sharing everything. Thank you. Thank we, you. we appreciate your time and appreciate you having us on. Look yeah. forward to seeing it. A lot of fun.